I am Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI, Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you will want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we are talking with Kurt Carlson, former CEO of SRI, which is the Stanford Research Institute. And currently, he's an international consultant to governments and organizations on innovation and value creation about how to evaluate and improve value creation for your organization and be a more valuable contributor to your team. Okay, uh, thank you so much, Kurt. Uh, Kurt is going to talk to us today about innovation and particularly value creation, uh, what it means, uh, some of the criteria that uh, one can use to evaluate value creation, uh, excellent guides for entrepreneurs and for organizations, as well as for individuals. So, Kurt, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to this. and. Um, Welcome. Well, um, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be with you, and congratulations on your new book, uh, The Interconnected, Interconnected Individual. Um, Thank you. That's a, uh, an important part of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, how do you put together networks uh, um, so you can augment your own capabilities and be successful? Terrific. So go ahead, Kurt, uh, tell us about value creation and in the context of innovation and, and some of your thinking. Well, uh, it starts with, uh, you know, why do you want to do it? Um, and um, as you know, um, there's a positive side to this. This is the best time for innovation ever. Uh, there are more opportunities in every area you can think of than I've ever seen uh, before in my life. So there's an abundance of uh, amazing things we can do to help society. That's the positive side. The, the, the challenging side is, of course, um, that um, we need to create the jobs that um, society needs. We need to increase the, the income of uh, almost half the population in the United States to bring it up. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of competition in the world. Companies go away. The average lifetime of a company now is um, – once it gets listed, it's about 10 years before it goes away. Its half-life is about uh, 10 years. So there's both the great abundance of opportunity, but also great challenges and great needs. So um, uh, that's what motivates me and why we need to get better at um, this thing called value creation. That's very um, broad, Kurt, and, and it's very important uh, so maybe we could start with your definition of value creation as it relates to organizations. Well, so there are a couple of key definitions. One is uh, what is innovation first? Innovation is um, the delivery of new customer value into the marketplace. Um, uh, delivers new customer value with a viable business model. Uh, people often forget about the viable business model. But if you, uh, if you build something and there's no way for it to be supported, then, of course, it just goes away. That's an invention, not an innovation. So our goal is to make an impact on society by doing things that um, individuals uh, want. Um, that's innovation. Value creation is the, the process of producing innovations. 
Um, how do you go about doing that? How do you identify big, important opportunities? And what are the methodologies and the concepts that help make that more effective and efficient? So those are the two big things uh, we're going to be talking about. Um, I tend to emphasize more the value creation part of it because until you've created something of value, um, by definition, you're not going to be an innovator or an entrepreneur. You need to be an expert at how do I actually create things that um, the customers want and that are significant in the marketplace. Can you give some examples of really good value creators that we would be familiar with? Well, um, the, you know, the, the, the really famous ones are, are folks like Edison and Steve Jobs. Um, um, but I, I, I tend to emphasize the ability for um, um, many people to be able to be uh, value creators. So in, in fact, everybody in a company ought to be a value creator, right? Everybody ought to be delivering more value to their customers and to their enterprise. So value creation really is the function of, of everybody. And yes, there's a continuum from, you know, the person who's trying to do a better job with let's say um, what the outside of the company looks like to the people who are inside um, creating the next uh, big thing. Um, um, but I've been I've been amazed. My experience at SRI, um, as you you may know, when I went to SRI, SRI had been failing for twenty years, and uh, with the same people in the same location and the uh, same partners, basically the nothing really changed except for one big thing. Uh, the way we work together. And by getting people to work in a much more productive way, uh, we not only grew the organization by three and a half times, um, but we also um, were able to create tens of billions of dollars of new economic value. And we weren't doing this with, um, um, you know, superstars in the sense that you would publicly think about it. We were doing this with really smart, motivated people but people that we gave the skills to, so they knew how to develop these new big innovations. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of famous innovators that we hear about in the news, but um, I think the real potential is that there's an enormous number of people who are capable of being really um, valuable uh, value creators and innovators. Well, you know, Kurt, you're, you are really a pioneer in this whole idea of how to motivate people for innovation. And in your book uh, called Innovation, uh, which is an excellent read, um, I remember you had a, um, you stated that the greatest innovation is the way we work together. <laughs> and uh, you also told the story of, to me, of how, what you tell people when they came to SRI and they were looking for direction from you uh, in terms of what their job should be and how they should do it. And <laughs> you had oriented them in a very interesting way. Could you tell us how you oriented your people at SRI? Well, um, <clears throat> so we, we took the idea of um, world-changing innovations very seriously. We um, we agreed that our vision for the company would be that we wanted to be recognized as the premier independent source of high value innovations. We were really, uh, we, we realized we weren't gonna compete in the global world like ours today that's so competitive by doing me too 
innovations. We had to do things that would have global um, scope and impact. Uh, things like Siri that we did, um, it was a company we formed that was bought personally by Steve Jobs. Um, so we realized we had to do big important things, but um, my experience previously in another part of SRI called the Sarnoff Corporation showed that if we got people to work together more productively, we actually could create a major new innovations. So you're right, when people came to me, I, I would always um, say if I, if I thought they could fit into SRI, I would say, I, I hope you come. I hope uh, you'll pick on a big important problem. Um, I hope uh, a problem will um, make a difference in the world, a positive difference in the world. I hope you'll learn everything uh, that we're going to uh, make available to you to learn how to become a value creator and innovator. Um, we'll really help you with that. Um, I hope you'll find a partner and I hope you'll uh, begin our process. Um, you'll persevere, you'll do the right things, you'll share our values, our human values, both for our customers, our colleagues, and for SRI. And I hope you persevere and succeed. That's my, my hope for you. And I said, and if you do those three things, I can almost guarantee you'll be successful. Um, but I, I also agree, you'll, you'll, you'll work hard, but you'll get to work with some uh, terrific people. Um, and when you go to the retirement home, you'll be able to look back on a professional life that was well, well lived. And I, I can almost also promise you something else, that if you learn these skills that we teach at SRI, you'll be able to work as long as you want to work not as long as somebody else wants you to work. Because in today's world, the ability to be a value creator is the most valuable skill you can have. It's the skill that lets you go from one era to another and always be productive. So I hope you come to SRI, and I hope you'll do those things. Well, Kurt, you're, you're the boss that everybody aspires to have, um, and uh, it's so few create the environment for someone to not only grow, but also to continuously learn because you uh, underlying everything you've said is the expectation that the person is going to be continuously learning and learning you do. You don't just uh, conceive of ideas. You actually get out there and make things happen. And um, can you talk a little bit about this idea of fast learning and continuous yeah. learning as an integral part of, of what we have to be able to do as a skill set? Well, Jeff, you're absolutely correct. It's all about learning fast. Um, it's, uh, that's always been the kind of the better paradigm in the way I've thought about the value creation and innovation. It's about learning fast and efficiently and effectively and of course, it's not just about um, learning fast, it's learning fast in the right way to solve real, real problems. So it's a combination of the learning sciences and the business skills you need to be successful as a value creator and innovator. But um, I think it's a really important point and I think it's something that people don't appreciate enough and it really distinguishes uh, the value creation process we put together at SRI and I still um, teach to companies um, and governments um, all over the world. Um, I judge everything we do in terms of its ability to amplify our learning. If it amplifies learning, um, generally I'm for it, and if it attenuates it, I'm against it. 
So putting up barriers, for example, in companies for who can talk to whom um, is obviously going to hurt your ability to innovate. So at SRI, we had an open organization. Now, we had ways to modulate that, but nevertheless, basically, you could talk to me or anyone else in the company um, um, to get the answers you need to be successful. And well, that's a phenomenal thing to be able to have open access. And of course, people have to respect the time of others, but that goes with the experience of when you actually ask a question and when you provide your solutions provider. Um, and, well, and Kurt, you, you had talked about some criteria that you use with organizations or governments in terms of value creation. Could you, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Well, let's, let's just, um, I, I will in a second, but Jeff, let's go back to this idea of the transparent organization. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's basically one of the themes of your book, too, your interconnected individual. It's the power of having a network and having access to the best people. Um, you know, individually today, none of us are very smart. We're, <laughs> almost every problem that you can think of solving requires a, a multidisciplinary team to be able to address it. And that means putting together people who can solve the different parts of the puzzle. And if you try and do that yourself, of course, it's way too slow. You'll never do it. It'll never be successful. Basically, it's a question of how do you put that network together? And in a company, um, management always gets kind of nervous if people are just walking around the organization well, we had a way to modulate this. We, we used the function we called value creation forums. And these were places where people would get together every two to six weeks and present for a few minutes the value proposition of what they were working on. And there was a facilitator. And as part of this process, our folks learned the skills of value creation. They got to meet other colleagues and they were continuously learning. At the same time, as part of this, they learned the the part of this that you mentioned in passing, which is that having an open organization also comes with great responsibility. You just can't go around and be, um, you know, uh, taking up the time of people. It has to be really a thoughtful thing. So that was part of, you know, what, what folks at SRI learned. They learned how to to, to manage themselves in a transparent organization and respect the time and the responsibilities of other people. Um, you, you don't take this for granted. You actually have to make that part of your management concept. That's great. How to manage yourself in a transparent organization is a great mantra for people to kind of understand that's a North Star and one to find that transparent organization and a leader who encourages this, and then to master it, because once you master it, you can do it anywhere and uh, initiate it yourself. Isn't that correct? Well, that's correct. You know, one of one of my mentors in all of this was Douglas Engelbart, the fellow who invented the computer mouse. And, and most of what's on our PCs today on the user interface side, um, um, he was always talking about um, unleashing the collective intelligence of society. And you know, most of the companies we go into, um, if you think about the collective intelligence they have, it's always at the genius level. I mean, it's hard to imagine any major company, when you, um, not if they could tap the, the total intelligence that resides in that company, that they wouldn't be at the genius level every time they try and solve a problem. What's the problem? They basically don't take advantage of it. 
so they're basically um, um, reducing uh, the, the ability they have. Uh, that, that, was, that was part of the learning goal um, that I always had for SRIs. How do we unleash the collective intelligence of SRI? And obviously people just sitting in their room in front of a computer was not going to do that. We had to find a way to get people together and get them to interact and share. And we had to give them frameworks for thinking about uh, getting the answers they needed and doing it efficiently. Um, it doesn't happen by accident. You actually have to put in place the, the methods and the processes and give your people the skills to be able to do that. But if you can do it and you can unleash the collective genius of your enterprise, um, you can be pretty smart just about all the time. That's amazing. And that's the kind of environment that so many people would love to work in. And uh, um, now, Kurt, you, you do consult with governments and organizations and when you talk to them about value creation and you give them specific guidelines, can you share some of those guidelines that you might in a consulting project come to almost like a rubric of this is, these are the things that you've got to be focused on. And if you're going to be innovative and you're going to create value. Uh, great question. So um, right now I work with universities to help uh, put in place uh, uh, advanced value creation programs to teach students. I work with, I've been working with the National Academy of Engineering. We just completed a major two-year study on global value creation best practices. It just got published. And I just delivered a um, playbook um, of value creation best practices to the National Science Foundation um, that I hope they will implement. They've implemented some of the ideas from the National Academy report we produced um, but I hope they'll keep on doing that because most of the practices they use are from the 1950s and 60s, and that's not going to work in our global innovation economy that's so um, competitive. I basically tell them, uh, you know, if I wanted to simplify it for this down to three things. The first thing is they need to focus on important problems, not ones that are just interesting. Important, not interesting. Um, we can come back to that. We just give you the three things. So that's the first thing. The second is they need a playbook um, that actually describes to their folks what is innovation, what's the definitions, what are the concepts. Um, it, the playbook doesn't tell people what to work on. It just says here are the learning and the creating um, concepts and processes that will expedite the process. The most important part of that is what we call the value proposition. And we define it very simply. What's the need? What's the approach with the business model for addressing that need? Um, what are the benefits per cost? That's the value of the idea. And why is that better than the competition? NABC. So it's a very simple definition for a value proposition, but that's the point. In the beginning, answering those four questions is really, really hard. So things like the business canvas and other things that people teach are way too complicated in the beginning. And they really, we discovered, don't really work. They just confuse people. Uh, the goal, if you want to be an effective, fast learner and value creator, you want to focus on the most fundamental ideas to start. And then you build it up. And of course, eventually you have to answer all the questions that are in a full business plan. So two things so far. One is important problems and have a playbook with a useful definition for a value proposition. 
The third thing is um, accepting that it's about learning fast is what we call value creation forums. These are not brainstorm meetings or project reviews. They're stand-up meetings where people um, give a short version of their value proposition and they get critiquing, get critiqued by their colleagues. Those three things, we can, we can say more about them, but if you're not working on important problems, you're not gonna make a, an important contribution. Um, if you don't have um, a playbook that helps align your team on what best practices are, you're gonna be less efficient. And if you don't have a way to learn fast across the organization, then you're not tapping into the full genius of your team. So don't expect to, um, to, to beat other teams that actually behave that way. Fantastic. Three important principles. So maybe I can ask you to illustrate the difference between something that's important and not just interesting in, in maybe a project that you folks worked on or one that you have seen in, in your consulting? Well, um, well, certainly um, I worked on a whole bunch of <laughs> important projects. So high definition television was one um, that I started and, and helped lead um, that set the U.S. standard, and we won an Emmy for that. That was uh, that was uh, certainly an important project. Um, Siri is the one that people um, um, talk about right now that we did. Um, 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 well, but Kurt, when you first got involved with Siri or high definition television, yeah. and you were defining this as important yes. and not just interesting. I presume it was before the actual prototype, which at the beginning you might not have known exactly where you were going to end up, but you defined something as important. Was there a statement or a uh, something that you used as a criteria to define Siri as an important project and not just an interesting one? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so very good. Um, so let's, let's start there. So generally important problems are ones that um, impact a large number of people. So clearly we were, we were on the path of creating a world standard for video. So we were hoping to change the entire world with how they thought about watching. Um, uh, well, eventually we wanted to change everything. We wanted to change not only how they, they viewed television, but movies and every other form of video. That's what we were trying to do. That was, that was, uh, that was one of the criteria. Um, Siri was the same thing. We, we said, you know, searching for information on the web right now is a is real nuisance, and particularly on mobile devices, because you have to pick words in and do word searches, and that's incredibly inefficient and slow and frustrating. So, and we said, if we could define a different kind of interface, a more natural one where you just talk to the computer, eventually that could affect um, every communications device in the world. So, so one of the criteria generally is it, um, it can impact a lot of people. Obviously, um, um, you're also looking at the, the business model part of it, the financial part of it too, because unless uh, you can get a significant return on that side, then um, it doesn't make sense to do it either. So it's a combination of trying to figure out both of those. With Siri, it was an interesting case because we actually had the product, the offering, before we had the business model. And it took us several years to figure out 
how to make a company that would be profitable with that. And um, once we did, we launched the company. And only a few months after that, Steve Jobs called us up and said he wanted to buy the company, which he eventually did. So we're fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) So you could start with the solution in terms of the prototype and then work your way back to the business model, or you could start with a proposition and then work your way through to figure out how to make with with adjacent technology, adjacent opportunities. That's true. What you can do. But the thing that they all start with is the value proposition. They all start with answering those four questions. What's the big important need? What's our unique, compelling and defensible approach um, for the offering with the business model? And why are the benefits per cost of the value of that particular offering uh, two to 10 times better than the competition or alternatives? That's what we were always looking to do. And we would spend an enormous amount of time on just those four questions. I, I, in the book that I wrote, Innovation, um, I tell the story of the months and months of time we spent just defining those four questions so that when I made the presentation to start the program, um, I really had compelling answers to all four of them, again, before we built anything. By the way, that's a big mistake people make is they oftentimes we see people and they have an idea and they want to go build it immediately. And they really don't have a value proposition. They don't have a business model. They really don't understand the market ecosystem. They really haven't quantified the benefits. They haven't done their homework um, to justify spending money because once you start spending money, of course, if you run out, then that's the end of the game. So you want, you want to be really efficient. <laughs> Uh, in the beginning of making sure you're going in the right direction. This is great advice, Kurt. And I know that um, you are a global person. You work globally with individuals all over the world who uh, exemplify some of these. Uh, Maybe we can conclude this interview with um, just getting a kind of a 30,000 foot view of one, are you optimistic about our future collectively? And to talk a little bit about this global nature and the, the interconnectivity uh, between regions and organizations and individuals and how one can orient oneself for success in an optimistic future. Well, I'm, I'm basically, I'm optimistic um, for uh, the possibilities for innovation. So first off, um, I'm, I'm amazed at people who say, you know, we've invented all the important stuff and there's very little room for growth. There was a famous book published a couple of years ago that said, basically, um, there was no hope. <laughs> all the important stuff had been invented. Well, that's certainly not true. You know, you look at any area of technology. I mean, just, just take biology and what we're doing in genomics and those areas. Um, so... I'm incredibly optimistic that there's abundance of opportunities and that we can do a better job and that um, that, uh, the markets to be addressed are still huge. Most of the world is still pretty close to poverty. So we don't lack opportunity, we don't lack technology, we don't lack people, we don't lack um, markets. So on the innovation side, I'm enormously positive. uh, at the same time, we have issues. Um, one problem is just being competitive because 
uh, pretty soon, instead of us competing with, let's say, a billion people in the world, we're going to be competing with 7 billion. So you have to keep on getting better. And of course, there are all the issues that people talk about endlessly, which is uh, what about jobs and how about edu educating people and what about freedom of speech and what's happening with the big tech companies and what they're doing to uh, control that. So we, of course, we have a host of issues uh, on that side as well. So it's hard to know how those will work out. Uh, generally, we work our way through them. But in terms of the innovation side and the opportunities for making society better, I'm incredibly optimistic. Fantastic. And in terms of having a global perspective rather than simply a regional one, can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Well, that's part of the challenge. So, for example, working um, uh, China right now has a bigger middle class population than America has people. And, and obviously, um, uh, you know, Chinese people are, uh, they focus on education, they work really hard, they're very competitive. They're, um, there's a, a percentage of Chinese who are very entrepreneurial. So um, that's gonna be a really important part of the world. On the other side, the, the freedom issues in China are a real concern of how do you work there productively. You can see what Google is going through right now, trying to figure out what can they do in China. We can't ignore China because they're so big and so uh, important from a business point of view. Uh, but nevertheless, it still represents all kinds of problems. So um, um, it's enormous opportunities globally, but you have to work your way through all these political and social issues at the same time. But um, you can't ignore it. If you're not global today, then uh, you're, not, you're not thinking right. Everything we did at SRI, we were thinking globally um, on our big innovations as well. How do we, how do we take them and um, spread them? Otherwise, they basically have the, the danger of going away. By the way, it's one of the things I'm really trying to do with the, with the government um, and with companies I work with is that um, there's a lot of work on things like Agile and Scrum, which I think are fine ideas for incremental innovation and design thinking. Um, these are all good ideas, but they don't create innovations of size and impact. And um, uh, that's what we teach. And I think, uh, you know, if you want to be a player in the global world and have your enterprise stick around for a while, if you're not thinking globally and you're not thinking about innovations of impact, then I think you're not quite playing, um, you know, the, the full um, kind of Olympic level game that you need to to survive. Well, this is fantastic, Kurt, and I'm so appreciative of this wisdom and perspective and your 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 examples and. What I'm going to do is also post uh, some of the uh, links to your site and the report so that people who are listening to this can take a look in greater depth at the, at the terrific work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Jeff. And again, congratulations on your book, uh, The Interconnected Individual. Um, obviously, the, the network and the collaborative parts of this, uh, which we were just talking about, are fundamental to uh, um, creating a a successful enterprise as well. Terrific. Thank you so much, Kurt. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.